Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Ruby Mateja, traveled to Palestine in 2016 to volunteer for a few months as a skate coach at SkatePal, a non-profit organization promoting the social, health and well-being benefits of skateboarding to enhance the lives of local youth. That's where she met fellow volunteer Will Ascot, and shortly after they decided to launch together a similar organization in Athens, Greece by the name of Free Movement Skateboarding. Today she is working for the Good Push Alliance, an initiative by Skatistan to support and share knowledge among social skateboarding projects worldwide. So here's my conversation with Ruby, I hope you'll enjoy it. so much Ruby for taking some time to chat with me really appreciate it I usually start this podcast with the same question with everybody it's basically how did you find skateboarding so you live in Athens you've been living in Athens for a while now but uh, you're originally from the UK from England if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. so yeah can you tell me about growing up and finding skateboarding yeah sure so yeah like you said I'm from the UK from England grew up in like I moved around a lot as a kid. My family moved a lot. But I was always kind of in the south, southwest kind of area, kind of around Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, Bristol, this kind of area. And, yeah, I mean, I was actually really into rollerblading as a kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't skateboarding at all. So, basically, I mean, I just loved adrenaline. I loved going fast. I liked anything that was just like... Yeah, just like throwing my body around. So I was like cycling a lot as well. <laughs> Basically just giving my mum like a hard time watching me. <laughs> yeah, she, I'm sure. she, she yeah. tells me that it wasn't easy. So yeah, like from a very young age, I was like cycling a lot. And yeah, going to the, I was at the skate parks. Like I was going to like, I was always trying to find the skate park in like the new place that we moved to. But mm-hmm. I was always on my rollerblades and just like... Yeah, basically just going very fast on those. <laughs> Because, yeah, I, I guess skateboarding just wasn't really on my radar somehow, even though I was at skate parks. I just think, like, as a kid... Yeah, as, like, quite a young kid, you would see more, like, bikes and kind of rollerblades, like, at that time, I guess. I'm sure there were skateboards around, but, yeah, I guess I just hadn't really realised. Yeah. And then later on, when I was, like, more of, like, a young teenager, my brother, like, my younger brother, like, sort of got into skateboarding. I don't really... can't really remember how. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, the first time that I was sort of like, okay, what's this thing then, kind of thing. Like, all right, let's see how this works. Yeah, and I remember we, like... He had got, like, this small ramp, which we had in our garden, like, one of those, like, plastic ones that you probably got from, like, Argos or something. <laughs> and, yeah, I remember, like, one day after school, I, like, tried... I was just like, how hard can this be? Like, tried to kind of, like, drop in on it. And obviously, like, the skateboard just flew away and I fell, like, flat on my face. Uh-huh. And, yeah, that was, like, the only... That was, like, my introduction to skateboarding. And, okay. yeah, basically just didn't try again after that for quite a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then it wasn't really until I was, like, at university that I was, like, seeing a lot more people skating. I was, like, living in Brighton at this time, and they had just had, like, 
like a really amazing new skate park built like right in the kind of center of Brighton it's called the level okay and yeah I just remember like seeing that a lot and like really like wanting like having a desire to like really get involved but like I just didn't really see any other just yeah I didn't see any anyone else that kind of looked like me at the skate park I guess so yeah I suppose the representation wasn't really there at that point mm-hmm. so yeah and, and also like I, I suppose I was just like in full like I wasn't that confident, I suppose, at that stage of my life to just, like, throw myself in there. Like I had done as a kid, really. Like, I just... As a kid, like, I had no fear. I had no perception of... Like, when I was, like, on my roller skates or whatever, like, there was no perception of, like, any gaze on me, like, anyone else. Like, there was no thought of, like, how it might seem to other people. Like, it was quite a pure thing. Yeah. But I think at this stage of my life, you know, I was a lot more self-conscious, a lot more, like, needed to see that I had, like, other people around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like, by chance, like, one of my mates at uni, like, in the last year, it was like, oh, I found out about this night that's going on at this indoor kind of, like, skate park youth centre in Brighton, which turned out to, it was run by Lucy Adams, who I'm sure right, you know, yes. or know of. But yeah, at this stage, like, one of my friends just told me about it and was like, oh, I was wondering if you want to kind of go along, and I was like, yes, like, of course, mm-hmm. like, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, so, like, got hold of a skateboard through, like, one of my friends, like, had their brother's old one or something, this, like, blind deck that was just, like, really, yeah, pretty pretty well used. Yeah, went along and just, like, within the first session, I was just, like, absolutely hooked. Like, I'd never had such a good time, like, in my adult life, basically. Just, like, the atmosphere was, yeah, like, the atmosphere was amazing. There was, like... I mean, the people there were, like, between the ages of, like... I think the oldest person who was, like, just starting to learn skateboarding was, like, 50-something, 55. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, like, and the youngest person was, like... Also, like, someone who's, like, quite famous now in the skateboarding world, Josie Laurie. I don't know if you know. Yes, I think I've seen some footage of her. Yeah, really amazing skater. But at this point, yeah, Josie was skating there was already amazing but was probably about 13 or 12 at this point like really young so a really nice mixture of like abilities and ages and different people yeah yeah basically just started going there every week got really really into it and that's how like skateboarding really came into my life properly okay so yeah it started pretty late then it wasn't like in your teenage years it was more like what you were what 22 23 around there or Exactly, yeah, I think 22, yeah. Okay, and so I saw that you studied uh, like English literature and English language, and so we'll get into like free movement and everything eventually, but I'm just curious to hear about like the different experiences that brought you to start free movement. What was your like plan sort of at that time when you were at the university and you were starting to skate? Like, what did you want to do basically professionally? Did you have any idea what you wanted to do or...? Mm, the short answer is no I never have I don't think I I still don't really (laughs) okay (laughs) I think I accepted a little while ago that I'm more of the type of person who would just try a few different things right yeah yeah like I never really had a clear idea of what I wanted to do like um I knew what I liked doing and and I tend to like dip my toe in many different things like uh I just get quite passionately involved in things and that doesn't usually carry on that can carry on or maybe I'll just get into them for a short amount of time but yeah it's kind of reflected in my path as well because before I was studying English like I did that as my degree in the end but before that I actually had a place in a different university and I was going to be studying like 
fine art printmaking. Oh, okay. But I just like changed my mind <laughs> at the last minute. So yeah, like I did an art foundation before university and I was like very much just like going down that path. Like, okay, English is creative, but in the end my degree was like an academic one. But like I was always into like these creative aspects and basically had it set that I was going to be doing printmaking. And then I kind of took a year out and yeah just got really into reading books like I don't know I had never really done that as a young age I was more I was more like I was just outside all the time like running around in the mud just like having fun and <laughs> dirty and yeah had never I'd never really had like the attention span to kind of read books and things but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of found them quite late. And when I did find books and authors and these different movements, like I just got so into it. And I kind of like, yeah, decided in my head that I wanted to like, yeah, just look into that a bit more. And that's why I kind of chose to study English. Okay. Which was a good idea and a bad one in a way, because going from like studying something like art, where it's just like a lot more free and expressive and uh, yeah, like practical, you know, just like learning nice new practical things all the time You're in a really nice environment of like shared you know if you're lacking motivation or something on that day you just walk around the studio chat to people see their work it's such a nice like more like a social environment and then Mm -hmm. I was just like suddenly on this very academic course where you basically just have to sit on your own and read books like all day yeah okay yeah and like no matter how interesting these books were I just in retrospect like I found that really hard like I struggled with it a lot just the amount of time that you just like self-study like just you know yeah just basically you and a book which sounds really nice but when you have to read so many every week it just gets a bit yeah takes out the fun out of it I guess yeah yeah so yeah I kind of like finished that degree and like I did I did enjoy it a lot but I was very much ready to just get stuck back into something a bit more practical after that and I ended up moving home to my mum's for a year or a year and a half Mm -hmm. and I got a job working as like a support worker there was like a local trust charity organization and I was basically working with people who have severe epilepsy autism like um Oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I saw that. It was the Meath uh, Epilepsy Charity or something exactly. like that? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that was one of your first job experiences uh, after studying, basically. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So I knew that I wanted to go into something like working with people, like either like youth or social work. I thought that I would probably have to like study again for that, but I found this job where they just gave me all of the training kind of in-house whilst I was there so it was amazing I got really good training and Mm -hmm. you know my role was very practical like involved in every aspect of these people's lives like I worked closely with 10 women of very different ages and with epilepsy a big part of it is just like you know no two people are the same they don't experience it the same so you just get to know the individual learn about all aspects of their life like what works well for them in terms of like nutrition exercise uh, being stimulated creatively like all these things Uh so yeah like I learned a lot from that job and it was an amazing experience I met some of the most amazing people I've met in my life doing that job yeah it's amazing yeah and then I suppose like in parallel alongside of it I had like the skateboarding was like just really thriving in my life like I had built yeah like I suppose I'd built up the confidence in the like in the girls sessions with Lucy Adams in Brighton and I just felt fully ready to just like throw myself into any skateboarding 
skate park, like any sort of environment. And yeah, like at the point that I moved home, I would just get up really early in the mornings before work and drive to the local skate park and I would just skate for like a couple of hours every morning. And I was just like, you know, that stage of skateboarding when you're just like so dedicated. It doesn't matter if you're on your own. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so how long did that uh, experience uh, last to the support worker uh, position you had? It was like a year and a half, two years around there? Yeah, I'd say it's about a year and a half. Yeah, and like I, the reason I like ended that job was because I moved to Athens. So I probably would have continued for a bit longer. But, you know, Will came into my life and sparked this idea. And then one thing led to another. And yeah, so that was the reason I kind of left that job. Okay. So you started Free Movement with Will in 2016, but uh, I saw that before that, I think you were both at the same time at at SkatePal in Palestine, Mm. doing volunteer work over there. And so I wasn't sure if you two met over there or if you knew each other from before. And uh, it seemed like you started Free Movement pretty much right after that, uh, that experience over Mm. there or or very soon after that. So, yeah, can you take me a little bit behind the scenes of, uh, yeah, basically how it all started and and maybe tell me a bit about that experience in Palestine. It must have been quite an interesting one. Yeah, so firstly, like, like I said, at that point, like skateboarding was like a big part of my life. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing a video that someone I knew from Brighton had actually made, someone called Cyrus. He had been out in Palestine, like, I think the year before or something, and had made this amazing video. And that's how I first learned about SkatePow. And like, yeah, I mean, obviously at that point I was super into it, but kind of like getting a lot more interested in like, how else is skateboarding, you know, being like... I don't know, like, what else is skateboarding doing in the world kind of thing? Because mm-hmm. I didn't really have any knowledge of it at that point. I just had my own journey, which was really fresh still. So, and at the same time, like, apart from those sessions in Brighton, where I was seeing other girls, other, like, non-male people skating, like, the skate park that I was going to, like, near my mum's house, I in the whole time that I was skating there, I think I saw one other girl. So okay. the thing that struck me about seeing this video from Cyrus was seeing all the, like, young like skating just being like that was the main thing like regardless of it being like you know in the west bank and, and all the other things like involved in this being like wow there's there's skateboarding there there's this skate park there's this organization doing all these things of just being like on yeah on a more personal level like wow there's just like this skate park is filled with girls and they're ripping around and they're fearless and they're having so much yeah. fun and like yeah just feeling that like all through my body like it was just like really filled me up yeah 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 so yeah i basically saw that and i think i sent like you know looked into skate power probably sent charlie charlie davis is like the founder of skate power i think i probably just sent him an email like that exact same day that i saw that video like okay like you know i Mm -hmm. saw that you're taking volunteers like you know what's the situation yeah and i still remember when i got the email back saying that i had like been accepted because you had to fill out like a little questionnaire or form application form and yeah luckily like i managed to get a month off my work like they were really nice and they said like you know it's for it's for a good cause so we'll let you let you take your travels yeah so I ended up going there like in October 2016 and and that is where I met Will for the first time okay I think he had arrived like a couple of days before me yeah I just remember like we went we spent like the day after the night that I had arrived we all went to Jerusalem skate park okay and that's where I first met like Charlie and Theo and 
think Will was there. Well, I, I just remember we got the bus afterwards into into the West Bank. We went to Nablus and then Azir al Shamalia, and I remember that me and Will were sat next to sat next to each other on this bus. Okay. Yeah, like I'm a bit shy when I meet new people, but Will's just like the chattiest person in the world. So we were just <laughs> <Okay>. like, yeah, <laughs> we were just like chatting the whole way. And yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Because there was like six of us volunteers out there at that point. So I was like, okay, met some nice people. Yeah, never expected to, you know, obviously to move on to living with him and running this project in Athens. But yeah, that was yeah, like, the first yeah. time we'd met. Yeah, and then, yeah, blimey, like, where to start, really, from that experience? I mean, it was the most amazing, beautiful, also overwhelming, like, ex- one of the, yeah, one of the most overwhelming experiences I've ever had, really. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, so so basically, like, at that point, I mean, Skatepad have got, like, a, a few different projects going on at the moment in the West Bank, but at, at the time that we were there, like, um, the setup was, like, the, the skate park in Azir al-Shamalia was, was functioning, and the, the volunteers would stay, like, in the village, and every afternoon, like, after the school hours, we would kind of hitchhike over there, always in a very funny (laughs) vehicle and then just like you know just teach the kids in a very kind of free-flowing way until it got dark basically so yeah basically every afternoon at that skate park and yeah I mean it was it was incredible the atmosphere at the skate park was just like it had just fully created this this hub for the whole community really you know there was so much going on there there wasn't just the skateboarding there was just like you know all the all the parents all the families would gather and just you know drink tea start talking together yeah yeah yeah, there was there was just like the nicest vibe, like yeah, like the kids were just having the best time. Everyone was really like learning from each other, you know. I probably learned more from the kids than they learned from me, you know. Like it was just that kind of really nice like exchange of yeah, just exchange of like different people. It was mm-hmm. yeah, really amazing. So that lasted for about two months, and then did you go straight to Athens and started thinking about launching free movement, or did it take a few months of preparation, or how did it happen between the two, basically? Yeah, so no, it definitely wasn't free movement or anything like that, like definitely wasn't anything that was on my mind at the point that I, you know, like I went straight back to England and was like working after volunteering with Skate Pal. yeah. yeah. And yeah, I had nothing on my mind really, like I was really inspired from the experience and just felt, yeah, like it was amazing. But it was Will who was the like, kind of like the one who came up with the idea and, and, and really like had the vision and the confidence that something, a similar model could be created. Right. Because he, he also went from being in the West Bank, he went straight to Athens and he was spending a bit of time volunteering for like a couple of different refugee solidarity organizations okay but not linked to skateboarding exactly like he was just on a bit of a trip around like i think he'd been traveling around europe a little bit on trains and just trying to see what he could get involved in like in terms of like volunteering and things like that and you know he ended up in athens and yeah i mean obviously yeah especially at that time like the situation here was very intense in terms of like refugees arriving like all the time still and yeah he actually did a bit of a stint in this like old airport and just had like quite an intense time like it was just like really chaotic and then he ended up finding out about an organization called Cora who had like a community center in Exarchia at the time 
Okay. And yeah, like he was volunteering in there and um, helping with like the cooking and stuff. They were serving hundreds and hundreds of meals for people every day. And yeah, I guess he just like got a good feel for like the situation and what projects were already here, what projects like were kind of missing and and a big part of that was like kind of more like recreational activities or yeah exactly so yeah I mean obviously like like Will's a very like he's a very creative person in terms of like his ideas and he's very motivated and he's just think you know very confident in terms of these types of things like he'd done he had like taught skateboarding in the UK before as part of a kind of like after school program I mean, he's been into skateboarding, like, for most of his life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and then obviously, like, fresh after the experience in Palestine and just seeing, like, wow, like, this is what can be created from skateboarding. So I think he just, you know, arrived in Athens and had all of that going around in his head. And I remember he phoned me, like, it wasn't long after, maybe, like, a couple of weeks after mm-hmm. I was back and like he was like oh let's have a call to like catch up blah 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 and um yeah he kind of just posed the idea of like would you possibly be interested in you know starting you know something similar a social skateboarding project in Athens and yeah I mean I had literally never been to Athens I didn't know anything about it mm-hmm. but also was quite freshly inspired from Skate Pow and just a bit ready for like a change in my life I guess and skateboarding was just like such a big part of it at the time so yeah. I just had to trust him really I just had to like trust he, what he had seen and be like well you know he obviously he's passionate about this like right let's let's try and like put some let's give this a like try a and... plan. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you're right it all happened really quickly because You know, in the same year, that was, you know, the whole of October in, like, volunteering with Skate Power. And then by the end of that year, by, like, it was, like, just before Christmas, we had secured our first year of funding for free movement, which was, like, also just, you know, we just got really lucky in that, to be honest. But that was us often. We were just... I mean, I was, yeah, I think both of us were just like, I was still working full time, but then every other hour of the day was just like prepping to come out here, really. So, yeah, we just got really lucky to get that funding for the first year because it just allowed us that that kickstart that like basically any project needs to get going. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So Will was over there. Did you meet him over there? Because I, I heard, um, I saw that Will did a podcast with uh, Ash uh, uh, from the skate room not too long ago mm. and talked a bit about uh, free movement. And uh, I think he said that you traveled together with a van from England all the way to Athens. Did you do mm. that together or how did you get started basically? Yeah, yeah. So we got the van and we also did like some some fundraising and some raising awareness like in, in England before we left. And we managed to gather like a lot of donations in terms of like old decks, like a lot of wheels. Like, yeah, we basically like we kind of just got in contact with all of the different like skate shops and people that we knew and did some diff- different events and stuff. And yeah, just like got a few people kind of yeah a bit interested in what we were doing and and then yeah basically just packed everything that we managed to gather into the van all of our stuff and just started driving towards Athens and that was like at the beginning of March 2017 okay 
so yeah, we did that journey together and along the way, like we stopped in Italy and we held a couple of sessions. We wanted to like have a taster really, like, you know, yeah. we'd never really done anything like that together, like so, so structured really. And um, it was a bit of a crazy journey, to be honest, um, because we, well, firstly, we were just like staying in random places, like anyone that we could reach out to that would like put us up. We would just stay in these quite <laughs> random places with different like Italian families and stuff ate some very nice breakfasts <laughs> and yeah held a couple of sessions in uh, Torino Turin yep and those went really well we held them in this like this plaza like that was in the center of the city and I think it was at that point that I was like wow okay like I could actually because we were just so busy putting together all the plans and everything that I don't think I'd even really thought about actually you know holding sessions and what that would look like in a way it was more uh -huh. like all the organizational stuff so it was just amazing to like partner with an organization and just like kind of even though that we just did that like two sessions like over two days like just to actually be like wow okay this might be what it would be like uh -huh. yeah and then a bit of a shaky moment was in Rome our van also got broken into yeah uh yeah he talked about <laughs> it yeah 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 I remember yeah so you've heard the story but yeah I mean luckily they didn't get into the back of the van which is where we had all the equipment and... like the gear and yeah okay exactly yeah so like wasn't your suitcase stolen or something or Yeah, well, unfortunately, like, <laughs> unfortunately for me, um, I had packed my stuff after Will, so the back was kind of full, and then I had put a lot of my stuff kind of just, like, in the back seats, and also you can see this through the window, and we were just, like, really naive and just, like, parked in this <laughs> car park and just didn't even think about the thought that, yeah, just, I was just, yeah, very naive at this point. <laughs> and yeah a load of my stuff got stolen like tons of things like I arrived in Athens with like yeah luckily still my bike and my computer but like not yeah, that many clothes okay. that's a bummer yeah <laughs> exactly yeah so that was like a little bit of a setback in a way but kind of not too bad like they didn't yeah we still had like all the skate equipment and everything so it just kind of like prolonged the journey a little bit but I think it taught us a good lesson yeah. because we were definitely a lot more careful after that I'm sure <laughs> yeah so anyway like I suppose like a week or so later we drive into Athens yeah we got the ferry across and that's like the first time I'd ever been to the mainland of Greece and I was just seeing everything for the first time arriving in Athens and we also had like there was another person called Ben who was involved with us at the beginning and he had uh -huh. been kind of like set up with us through Help Refugees who were the funder who like supported us well for a long time but they yeah for that first year especially and yeah they kind of said like oh there's this person who has been doing like a lot of work in Calais and different bits like they basically thought that like you know Will had a lot of the skateboarding and other kind of like social work experience I had kind of like social work and yeah other types of experience and they were like they thought that there was like a piece missing of like someone who'd actually worked within the refugee context for like a long time yeah and yeah I mean we're so thankful for that because like Benji was like an amazing amazing asset to have for the team like um he stayed with us at least for the first six months like he had to actually tap out because he was just burnt out really already like had been working in Calais for such a long time and then you know then like the context of Athens was also like really intense 
and we were working in refugee camps like a lot at that point so he basically had to tap out after a while but um yeah he was yeah an incredible person to have involved at the beginning and also was like designed our like our ramps our skate park and me and Will basically just you know were handing him the tools and being led by him basically you know very much involved in it but Benji had experience like carpentry experience and um like mm-hmm. yeah, so our our whole like mobile skate park, which we still use today, was like designed and built mainly by Benji. Okay, yeah, yeah. amazing. Actually, I heard about this uh, also that you have this van and you basically bring the whole skate obstacles or modules around with you and set up a little. Mm like skate sessions or skate classes uh, but you don't really have a like a, a set place like a, a legit so to speak skate park or diy or something mm-hmm. that you go to regularly it's it's more like you, you move around uh so yeah can, can you tell me how you decided to do that rather than like uh, select one place and say okay we're just gonna do all of our skate sessions over there yeah i mean so Yeah, that was the format that we decided from the beginning and that was very much informed by like the situation, the context here in Athens and you know our main our main kind of target group of people was, you know, displaced communities. So there were refugees, migrants, asylum seekers living in many different places in Athens. So, you know, there'd be refugee camps which were like not really accessible from the city, like quite far out, like an hour or so drive really poor transport links. There was also one of the camps that we worked in for the longest duration was based more centrally. Mm -hmm. And then there were just, you know, squats, housing shelters, like different community centers kind of based all around the city. So we basically just knew from the beginning that that was the model that we think would be like the most inclusive for trying to, you know, bring skateboarding to people. Because like, even if you think about like the different on just like a practical level these camps that are also really far away also you know it's like there's just so many barriers that would stop people from like from coming all the way yeah i see exactly so like yeah it was basically just that really like we were just thinking about all the different locations and and how we can most effectively kind of yeah just just create this programming that was the most accessible yeah and also like skateboarding being a thing that we were kind of aware that a lot of the people that we wanted to reach out to maybe didn't even know what skateboarding was had never done it so I just think the model where it's like you partner with other organizations you're like the mobile one that moves around you go to other people's spaces they already have like maybe a good relationship with the young people living there you can do some like gentle outreach of introducing skateboarding and doing some maybe like creative workshops at the start and then being like is this something you want to get involved in and yeah it just seemed to work for us really that idea and I mean maybe we'll get onto this later but like yeah we having your own space has its advantages in many ways and it's something that I have wanted <laughs> that the whole team and FMS uh, free movement skateboarding have wanted for a long time like but we would never we would never just do that like the outreach and, and yeah. the, the mobile project would still be like the main aspect or the main kind of format but like there are plenty there's like yeah such value in having like your own space as well for sure sure but as you said you can do both and yeah mm. 
So tell me a bit about like the, the first uh, skate sessions and everything. How did, how did it go? How was it uh, received maybe by the, the people that you first uh, you know, got into the skate sessions? How, how was it generally received? And um, yeah, just tell me a bit about starting it all basically. Yeah, so the first session that we ran was in partnership with this community center I was telling you about before, Cora, and they actually helped us out a lot in just in the sort of beginning stages of setting up the project in terms of like legal things and just knowing a lot of like the local context. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of young people coming in and out of that center every day. So we basically like formed a partnership with them and we would, you know, we put our posters and we advertised and everything like, you know, wasn't really that hard to advertise it there was quite a lot of interest even just walking in there with your skateboard in your hand you know that was enough really but yeah. yeah we'd just like <laughs> meet, meet the, yeah, we would meet there get like yeah gather the, the groups of kids who were interested and then we'd walk like it was just like five ten minutes down the road to like a basketball court within a park and yeah basically just started doing sessions there every every I can't remember what day it was but every week Okay. And yeah, they were perceived really well. Like um, quite a lot of pushback about wearing the safety equipment, but you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> we all go through that. It's not the coolest thing to wear, but um, yeah. that was one of the main challenges: is just going around trying to make people put their helmets back on. <laughs> but yeah, these sessions went really nicely. I can't remember if I feel like we didn't have the ramps at that point. We were still in the process of making them, so we just did, you know, absolute basics. And I don't think anyone had stepped on a skateboard or kind of even seen a skateboard before. Yeah, so we're doing like flat ground, rolling around. Exactly. Yeah, there was a really nice mixture of people, different ages. There was like. Yeah, I'd say like quite a few girls interested even from the beginning, whereas like most of the time when in our public sessions, like the numbers were a bit lower, whereas in the refugee camps, they were really high. Okay. But yeah, it was it was perceived really well. And, you know, you would just see people's faces light up as they, you know, learn to push for the first time and, and see like, wow, this thing, this thing that seems like impossible is kind of possible. Yeah. And, uh, And once you learn how to stand on the board and then what else can you do and yeah. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, those sessions were really nice and at the same time we were kind of like attending a couple of like different training sessions around like working with within the refugee context and through that like met a few other organizations that were like working in that were based more like inside refugee camps and then yeah basically just like handed out a proposal of skateboard like the skateboarding workshops that we would like to run and yeah managed to like gain permission to get into one of the refugee camps pretty quickly and that was through through a direct partnership with a project that was already operating inside okay and yeah like started a short time after starting those sessions with core we were then teaching inside one of the refugee camps twice a week okay and there was a very big yeah i mean very big difference between like these these sessions in the basketball court and the sessions inside the camp like you know such a large number of kids yeah such an uncontrollable environment i was wondering how, how did you uh, i guess you didn't like select the kids that were going to participate but obviously if you have 500 maybe not 500 but even like 50 kids showing up and you only have so many skateboards you know how did you basically choose who gets to ride the board or who can mm. just watch or whatever how, how did you manage basically the, the numbers of people and everything yeah i mean 
that was one of the toughest things and, and it continued to be for a long time. But how we kind of did it was, like I said, we were partnered with this with this other project who were already, you know, had some educational and different maybe like creative like workshops going on and just like had a good good relationship with the kids and like a lot of their parents already. So we basically went and outside their kind of the container that they were had their little office in, we just did like a couple of initial kind of yeah, I don't know, like, I think we did, like, a, a creative workshop on a couple of the benches, like, got the kids, like, making their own little skateboards, and we had a couple of resources, like, Skaterstan has this, like, big book, um, I think from their, like, 10-year anniversary, and it's obviously, like, quite, you know, there's loads of pictures, like, from Afghanistan and from their skate school in Kabul there, so, like, a lot of the kids would see this, and they were from that city, you know, and they'd be like, wow, they had no idea that this existed there. And yeah. Yeah, and, you know, pictures of girls skateboarding, and especially if, like, we try to just show, like, from the outset that skateboarding is for anyone. So a lot of these young people, like, had no perception of skateboarding. So if they come and their first insight is, you know, us showing them this book, like, and it has, you know, people from their country, different genders, like, it's quite a good, uh, yeah, just quite a good first impression, I guess, that most people wouldn't have of skateboarding, usually. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so we just did a couple of, like, little taster sessions like that. And, you know, we had to have, like... Yeah, like, obviously, the formal side of it is, like, we had to have, like, some forms signed, like, injury kind of disclaimer forms and, and just, you know, for the parents to agree that if the kids are going to skate, like, they're going to wear the safety equipment and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, we kind of, like, had the list of kids who were interested and then we had to get permission from, like, a guardian. And then from that, like, that had already, like, shortened the list a little bit. And then from that, we would just put the kids into different groups and at the time in that camp as well we actually had like a really good space for teaching like we had this like massive kind of like gazebo thing like it was like this nice wooden floor and it had a cover and everything so it was quite a good way to kind of like separate the session from the rest of the camp like at least a little bit to be like right this is the activity that's happening in this space and this is the group of people that are doing it there's a space for you there you're registered put the pads on blah 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 and then we also had like a lot of help at that point from like translators which is like basically crucial at the start I think like with the different languages oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about, like, you didn't speak Greek, and uh, Will, I guess, didn't speak Greek. Uh, mm. Did you have translators from the beginning, or did they come into the picture a bit later? We actually had them, it was the opposite, like, we had really good support from translators at the beginning, and then that kind of just, like... Fizzled yeah, out? Just kind of like, yeah, fizzled out, like, the situation in the camp in general just got more and more chaotic, and more and more pressed, so at the start was quite a maybe it's also a fact that it was like a new activity and like you know once it got going a bit I just think like a few of the translators just kind of thought oh they've got it like it's fine and they would stop turning up and things like that because they were they mm -hmm. were also just people who lived inside the camp you know people who were involved in things going on in the camp but you know maybe they had something else to do that day maybe they had to go and get food or whatever so sure sure yeah, so it was 
Yeah, at the start, we, we did have a lot of help from like the partner organisation and translators. And it also really helped that a couple of the translators were these like older, kind of more like role models for the younger kids, like people who they respected, you know, they were from their community. They were these like older teenagers. They were cool, you know, so the kids really listen to these people. Like they're not going to listen to like me or Will really, like these random <laughs> people like, telling them to put their helmets yeah. on. So they were actually really structured at the beginning of the sessions and we always tried to keep it that way as much as possible because in the camp there's just so many other factors going on that like you can't have it so much as like a free-flowing session like we were able to do in the public sessions like in the basketball courts and things because you know just such a large number of people in the camp and I think like you know every session it was at least one person's job just to stop the running babies like coming like getting in the way of the skateboards like oh, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was basically a lot of it was just like trying to keep it safe really it was yeah. um, quite a busy environment to be trying to like you know skateboarding it, it can be done incredibly safely like you know if you take the right measures but it's also you know there's also 15 people skating in the same space and they're learning so skateboards are flying people are falling so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a bit chaotic at times a lot going on at the same time yeah for sure yeah So uh, tell me a bit about how it evolved until today, maybe. I know that you're a bit less involved today. You still have a, a strong connection to it, basically, but I don't know if you're involved in it as much as, uh, as Will or the other um, people working over there. So can you tell me a bit about how it evolved from the beginning to today? Like how, how many skate lessons, how many kids are you like um, accompanying? Sure, okay. Well, I'll try and keep this concise. I'm a bit... <laughs> a bit difficult to do that because also it's just changed so much like because of the nature of the project being mobile and the context the environment that we work in which was changing sometimes literally like month by month week by week we would have to adapt and change to different situations like in terms of like political developments like the project just had to be incredibly agile so yeah It's just every weekly meeting was us being like, right, this new thing has happened. How do we adapt to this? Okay, we've lost this space. You know, this squat has been evicted that all the kids have gotten. Like, you know, how are we going to try and reconnect with them? So, yeah, the nature of it will always be ever-changing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of a very good thing, and it built a lot of resilience, but it's kind of something that meant, well, for one thing, like staff turnover and kind of burnout was like a very serious issue, well-being okay. and... So yeah, just like, I suppose like as a first yeah, point, like it's, it has changed a lot over the years. And yeah, so we recently had our fifth birthday in, I suppose, in yeah. March, just like five years. And yeah, so at the beginning, we were like very much based in refugee camps. Like we were working in, I think, two refugee camps, like from like, yeah, from the beginning stages. And we were teaching those like twice a week and we'd do lessons like all afternoon evening kind of thing with different age groups or yeah different groups mm -hmm. and at the same time we were driving around to different spots within the center of the city like in different parks basketball courts and holding sessions with yeah like I said with core of the community center but also in partnership with like quite a few different squats and yeah one of the main ones was like this place called city plaza which was like an old hotel which like a lot of people were living in at the time and we kind of had you know well it wasn't like an official partnership with them but you know their volunteers would like bring the kids to the sessions and stuff 
Yeah, so I guess like once we'd kind of built up our weekly schedule, I think we were teaching about 10 or 11 sessions at that point, like within the first year, like definitely at the end of the first year of like operations. And a large number of kids at that point, because we were working in the refugee camps, I think that's probably like the largest amount of kids that we were ever teaching. You know, we'd have about 15 people in each session and maybe in the camps we like well in one of the camps we just worked there all day I think we did like five different sessions Mm -hmm. of like 15 20 kids no maybe like 15 yeah so yeah we were teaching a large number of kids at that point and in many different locations like some days we would go and we'd have like a full lineup of like we'd be in that park for an hour and a half then we'd like pack everything back in you know that involves like setting up the skate park there basically yeah and then pack everything back into the van drive to the refugee camp get everything back out and then do like another hour and a half or like a few different sessions and yeah so we basically just went all out like you know retrospectively I think too much like we also at that point it was like mainly me and Will like oh it was just me and Will kind of running everything and I think that's like a big thing also like in general here of like in the volunteering circles of people that come here and maybe you're in the mindset as well especially people that come like quite short term like for a couple of months or something you know you just get involved in absolutely as much as you can and you put every yeah. ounce of your energy into it and I think for me and Will like we were never sure how long this how long free movement would run for like you know we, we only knew at that point that we had funding for the first year so I think yeah. we were kind of in that short-term frame of mind of like right let's give it everything see where it goes you know make sure that we're building up this kind of rapport to then maybe be able to get funding for the second year and things like that so mm-hmm. I think just like on a on a personal level we just like dived in quite deep and just got our heads a bit too far under I think you know biting off a bit more than we could chew Mm -hmm. but yeah so that was kind of how it looked in the first year and second year and then at some point like I think it was like maybe at the end maybe in the third year or something but we also like we introduced like an international volunteer scheme at some point and had like a couple of different people coming out like every month or so and yeah, they would come and they would, like, you know, shadow us and, like, you know, be involved in the, the actual program side of things, like teaching in the sessions, but they would also, like, quite often, like, run, like, creative workshops and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that was also, like, it was a really nice thing, and I think the kids got a lot out of it in terms of, like, being involved in different programs and I think it was quite good to like spread an awareness of what we were doing and our work to different places because we would have people coming from all over, you know, doing individual fundraising in their own cities, their own towns. And it was quite good just to kind of spread the word and mm-hmm. have some like different influences. But it was also just quite taxing on our team having to like reintroduce ourselves, our program, how we do things, do trainings with new people like every month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I suppose it was, like, then COVID happened, maybe. Like, I'm trying oh, yeah. to, like, line up everything in my head, and I can't really remember the exact... How did COVID uh, impact your skate sessions? Did you have to pause them for a bit, or were you able to continue them, or...? No, we, we had quite a long break, actually. I mean, we had, like, a very strict lockdown in Athens for... When it first hit, like, for, like, quite a few months, really. So, actually, we couldn't do anything. Okay. And we just, yeah, tried to focus on, I suppose, just, like, improving some practices and programs when we started up again and, like, ways to try and try and stay in touch a little bit with our participants. But that's also very hard, considering who we work with and the different yeah. situations that they're in and stuff. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then, God, there was like a, there was a big, I mean, the government also like introduced like this super annoying new law, which then basically, I mean, the reality of it then was like after, they kind of like slipped it in around when the lockdown was happening. And it just meant that basically like all of the projects, organizations who were like providing services inside the camps then like weren't allowed to re-enter. So free movement then like weren't allowed to like get back into the camps that we'd had like partnerships for like three years, four years. Oh, yeah. So after that, we had to adapt and change quite a lot, really. And um, that's kind of like led us to where we are today in terms of just running like a lot more public sessions, a lot more focused on like social cohesion, running like more like focused developmental programs. Yeah, like we always had this side, but we were also quite deep in doing more of this like, I suppose, like kind of crisis based work in terms of like providing services inside refugee camps. Yeah. But with that not being an option anymore, and it had also become so hard, like we had just lost, you know, the camps were getting severely overcrowded more and more, and we'd basically just like, in one of the camps that we first, that I said that we had this gazebo at the start, we ended up teaching like in this basic, this narrow space in between like people's containers, you know, and it's, uh, you would see that affect severely like the kids' behaviour, you know, the perception of the skateboarding sessions within the camp because, you know, we're just doing it outside people's homes and it's noisy and the kids are fighting. and <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, things changed a lot since then and that's also the point that I stepped back from free movement actually was like uh, during the lockdown and, yeah, like you said, I'm actually not really involved these days at all. Like, I'll go and volunteer in some of the sessions and... I mean, obviously, I'm still here and I'm in Athens, so I'm still in touch with the team and stuff. And I'm running some, like, kind of, like, some skate meets myself and, like, that's kind of tied into free movement in terms of, like, the boards I use and things like that. But it's also, like, quite a separate venture. Okay. Okay, so I wanted to ask you also, because I saw that you went to Pushing Borders in Malmö in uh, 2019, and you hosted this panel with Will to talk about um, skate NGOs, or, or um, mm. I don't remember what the, uh, was it globally, what was the name of the panel? It was... Uh, globally Stoked, and then what was it, Grassroots Skateboarding or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I watched it uh, on YouTube, and, and you mentioned uh, about the refugee crisis and everything in Athens, And you just talked about it. And I was just wondering, because we don't hear as much about it nowadays in the media, uh, especially with everything that's going on and, you know, in Ukraine and, and all mm. over the world and, and COVID and whatever. But uh, how has the situation evolved regarding the refugee crisis in, in Athens? Have you seen any sort of improvements or is it as bad or even maybe worse than it was when you first arrived? Uh, how has it evolved since you've arrived in Athens? Yeah, I mean, I definitely say there haven't been any improvements, but you're right to say that it has dropped out of the media, like, even more so than, like, I mean, it wasn't really that present in the media before, but, like, it's dropped out a lot, and, like, to be honest, like, the current government have, like, done a lot in terms of this, like, cleansing of, like, the centre of Athens, which is just, like, the most horrible term ever. Uh-huh. So when they came in, they basically, like, 
full force just like evicted basically all of the squats in central Athens, which were not only providing like shelter for people, they were also providing food, educational services, you know, a, a community. Yeah, many other things, you know, like we said, we were partnered with quite a few of these squats and yeah. They were just, you know, self-organized spaces that were doing so much for the refugee community. So, yeah, like, I'm not sure how much that was reported about outside of, like, the alternative media outlets kind of in Athens. Like, yeah, yeah, so these places were all just, like, forcefully evicted. A lot of people were just being taken to, like, detention centers outside of Athens. At the same time, yeah, the refugee people, yeah, people were still arriving at like a really high rate and the refugee camps were getting more and more overcrowded. Terrible conditions, there were like, I mean, there's been like multiple fires, like just so many different like emergency situations going on. And yeah, I guess you don't really hear any of this, like if you're kind of outside of those circles in Athens. Yeah. And... I don't know, it's, it's, it's still a really tough situation and like, you know, I'm not working inside refugee camps anymore so I don't really, I don't really see that on like a day-to-day basis what it's like anymore to be honest but, you know, pushbacks are happening, there's, yeah, it's still, it's still a really, really tough situation and in terms of like the legal side of it or people trying to settle here or to apply for asylum it's still like, you know, at the point where you apply like your, your first interview is like years down the line Oh, yeah, yeah. Most of the young people that we had, like, a consistent relationship with that we were teaching for a long time have now moved on to other places, like, maybe even on their own or with, like, some of their family and... I think, yeah, Greece is never really anyone's, like, idea of an end point, you know. Mm-hmm. The circumstances here are terrible and you're basically just in limbo the entire time. So, yeah, a lot, many, many people have moved on to different places, like, in, in Europe and some of them we're still in touch with and, yeah, like, obviously that's, yeah, I don't know, it's just a bit crazy to, like, see these different journeys. But thankfully, like, for most of those people, their circumstances now are, like, a lot better because, yeah, in Greece it's very, very tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me a bit about what you've been doing since you kind of stepped back from free movement. So I saw that you, but that was a little while ago, but you wrote a few articles for, like, uh, skatism. You also wrote some articles for the free movement skateboarding blog. And I saw that she also worked with um, an organization called Women Skate the World for a little bit. And then you eventually got into what you're doing now. So I think now you're working with the Good Push Alliance under mm. the umbrella of uh, Skatistan, basically. Yeah. But yeah, before you tell me a bit about that, can you tell me about the Women Skate the World thing and, and uh, all the, the writing you did and stuff? Yeah, so Women Skate the World, actually, like, that was... I forgot to mention this earlier when I was speaking about, like, the volunteer program and stuff. Like, basically, Amber from Women's Skate the World, she's the co-founder with with Nanya. I think they also formed whilst volunteering for Skate Power. Like, there's a lot of good things that came out of Skate Power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they... Basically, Amber just, like... Amber approached us and was kind of like, you know, we've created this kind of project and the idea was to yeah just kind of like make skateboarding more inclusive in terms of like including like more girls and women Mm -hmm. and what they were doing at the time was visiting different projects and you know helping them with their programming their educational side of things so together we formed like the the women's program which we designed to basically like 
a load of like skate and non-skate lessons for teenage yep. girls or like girls around sort of like 12 and upwards and at the point we actually had like our own private space which we had built like a small DIY skate park in so it was amazing it was super close to one of the camps that we were teaching in every week and we already had been there for a long time so we had a really good relationship with these young people so yeah we had like a small group of these kind of like teenage girls and we would basically just like go to the skate park and we would do like one hour of like a more educational creative lesson and then we'd have like one hour of skateboarding afterwards and these would like feed into each other quite nicely because in the camps there was because of like the kind of tense environment it was we were seeing like a lot of challenging behavior from kids and a lot of a lot of bullying and a lot of um you know small kind of like cliques of girls and and then a lot of people that would also get left out from this mm. so we basically you know we started introducing these lessons as a way to try and um, build tolerance between them to just you know get thinking about breaking different stereotypes or kind of like learning basically like establishing the rules of the space together was like the best way to be like okay how do you want to be treated in this space how do you want people to treat you and okay should we treat other people that way and as a way to try to build tolerance through like more of like an anti-bullying kind of lens yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah these lessons were amazing like i enjoyed those most out of everything really it was just being able to work like on a closer level with like a smaller group of people and you would just really see the difference that it was making like week by week because after these lessons as well we would then have the skate session and you would see that you know they started to build some sort of like confidence camaraderie or... in a way yeah confidence oh, but yeah. also like to see each other not so like to, to kind of forget about the differences between each other and start to cheer each other on when they learned something new and like this was yeah, not yeah, something yeah. we were seeing in the camps like in the camps of one of them fell over they would all laugh like it was uh, just mm-hmm. quite a tense environment so so yeah like amber was amazing and like was yeah basically like the backbone of creating this whole program with us and it's something that we carried forwards like after she left as well so that was like the involvement of women skate the world okay yeah and then yeah so after i left free movement i stayed involved with them a little bit and yeah, like you said, I was writing a few different pieces of stuff that I felt I had been very interested by or inspired by over the years of, of my learnings within free movement. Like, I mean, the whole thing was just like one big learning curve, really, of trying things, yeah. things not working, figuring out how to... Yeah, just crazy amount of learning throughout. And um, yeah, I just got especially, especially interested by like trauma-informed kind of practices within skateboarding and how skateboarding in a supportive environment can really you know help a lot in terms of like relieving stress and and working with young people who have been through trauma so yeah just just yeah. Got really fascinated by that really and I suppose at the point when I left free movement I wasn't really sure which direction I was going to go in so I was basically just thinking about the aspects that I really enjoyed and that was one big part of it and then the other part was quite informed by events like pushing borders and like really like feeling that strong strong network of all these different people who are pushing for skateboarding to be more inclusive more accessible all these things and um Mm -hmm. just got yeah obviously just really inspired by that side of it and then that's how I kind of got involved with good push really because you know good push is this 
is trying to increase the collective impact of skateboarding worldwide. So yeah. that's really, you know, linking up, you know, now with this, like working on this project, it's like I get to be in touch with social skateboarding movements and projects all around the world and, and really still be involved in that active conversation of like, okay, you know, skateboarding on its own is actually not that inclusive, to be honest. And mm. how can we push this in a, in a better direction? So, yeah, yeah, I suppose it all kind of, yeah, that's how I came to this point, I guess. Can you tell me a bit about the Good Push Alliance? Because from what I understood, it's basically a network of all the social skate-related projects that are running right now all over the world. And it, it's uh, so under the supervision, so to speak, of uh, Skatistan, uh, which mm. was... I don't know if it was the very first uh, organization of that type, but uh, definitely one of the most important. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do exactly over there and how do you connect all these uh, projects together and how do you help them out? Do you like uh, help them with resources, with like some training? Uh, what exactly um, is the purpose of the Good Push Lines? So yeah, like you said, it like Good Push is kind of like an initiative led by Skaterstan and it was formed like three or four years ago, I think like 2019. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like the whole purpose of it was like, I mean, Skaterstan had already been operating at that point for, what was it, already like 12 years or like a long time anyway. Yeah, started in 2007, I think, around there. Was it? Okay, yeah. Really? I think so. So obviously within that time, like, Skatestan has built up so much knowledge, like resources and just like also worked in different locations. So knowledge of different contexts. They are very educational, educationally based, educationally focused. So, you know, they just have this like depth of so much experience and knowledge in skateboarding based like youth programs. Yeah. So the Good Push was kind of formed out of them seeing this emergence of different, you know, skateboarding initiatives popping up all over the world and being like, right, you know, we have this depth of knowledge. Let's see how we can share oh, that and put, yeah. it, put it together in like a more tangible way for people to access, but also bring in all these different new experiences. So it's like, you know, very much like a, a knowledge and resource kind of sharing type of thing because yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah you know like it's it's different skateboarding programs are different in every context you work in so yeah for sure it's more just about keeping those conversations going and moving forward so i mean i suppose one of the main things is like the creation of resources and kind of like in the first couple of years they did a lot of like direct supports work working with um maybe three like a few a select few projects where they would do like visits to these different locations and the projects would visit like one of the skate stand locations and just a really kind of like direct support in terms of like okay where where are you falling short on is it child protection is it the actual programming and and just seeing how they could put their skills together and learn from each other mm -hmm. and then i found out about this and was like this sounds amazing and applied for it and we got free movement involved as one of the good push partners in the second year that they were running okay And so it kind of started with them giving us like different support calls. And at the time I was really working to like diversify our fundraising, for example, because we had relied on this like one grant the whole time and we were in a very vulnerable position, basically. So Yeah, I understand. Okay. 
Yeah, so they were giving us like a lot of support, and then me and Amber actually went out, and they had this first like Good Push Summit, which they held at their skate school in Johannesburg. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, and like so, this was like I suppose like five days of like different workshops and things, and yeah, just like learning from all the different projects there, seeing skates done, um, skate sessions, their educational like classes, all in action, and just learning so much from that and like just came back incredibly inspired and you know with so much more knowledge so yeah yeah that's kind of like how they're operating then and then obviously more recently more and more things are moving online and amber actually was also involved in good push for a while and created this uh, e-learning platform that we have going now okay so yeah basically just like looking for ways to make a lot of the the kind of resources like more and more wide accessible so yeah exactly and so we have like a lot of the courses online now in terms of like uh, child protection inclusive skateboarding trauma-informed skateboarding and if these were available when we were starting free movement i would have been incredibly thankful (laughs) (laughs) just like yeah so much good information there so yeah basically obviously it's like an evolving thing and we're going in different directions like um one of the main projects we've had which is in partnership with women wins the role models program okay and yeah that kind of like creates seed grants and helps uh you know smaller projects kind of get off the ground and is um focused on the inclusion of women and non-binary people in skateboarding so we have like 20 people each year we've just done three years of these uh role models programs and you'll have like 20 people apply and they'll get yeah like a, a seed grant to start their own projects they'll get help along the way to design them to implement them and then they'll you know put on this project within the community they work in and many of the projects are you know even from the first year have developed and they're still going today and they're just getting more and more people involved so yeah that's been a really nice thing to be involved with mm-hmm. another big project is like the pushing against racism initiative which yes. is a good push so yeah also just shout out to Rhiannon who I work with on Good Push because uh until I joined last year she was doing everything basically (laughs) single-handedly yeah she's done incredible work and is like probably one of the most passionate people I've seen in like the social skateboarding world so yeah bit of a shout out there yeah and yeah so we'll see really like the Good Push is also yeah like we're just kind of reacting to where we see there's kind of like a need or learning from different people and uh yeah like one of the things that we're going to be focusing on in the near future is more like within the refugee asylum seeker migrant setting and doing more of like linking up different projects who have been working within this context for like yeah for some time so like free movement will be one of them for example and yeah basically just putting together basically what the good push does putting together knowledge and resources and trainings and sharing of experiences but more focused in the inclusion of displaced communities because so many of the events and in-person online that I've been involved with recently, this is like the need. Like all these projects are saying like, okay, we want to do more outreach to these communities, but like it's such a big thing if you haven't done it before. There's so much, you know, that you need to, to learn and prepare for and yeah, and to think about really. So yeah, that's going to be like a, a big focus moving forwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right, so I'd be interested in just asking you about what's your perspective on, on like all the... Um, because there seems to be so many skate-related social projects going on as we speak. I don't know if you know how many there are, or at least that are associated with the Good Push Alliance, but I'm sure it's uh, grown a lot in the last six years since you got involved with free movement and everything. Yeah, so, well, in terms of numbers, and this is definitely not even touching the surface, like on the Good Push platform, we have just over 600 different initiatives, like, actually registered on there, so... Wow. Yeah, but I was also, like, in a call recently where someone said that even in, in like, Brazil alone, they said there was, like, a hundred or something. <laughs> Maybe wow. I'm misremembering that information, but, like, they are just everywhere. And, like, I also learn about new projects, like, I think every week, you know, and especially that we've been putting out more calls for these, like, uh, funds and stuff, you know, you see applications come in and, like, these amazing, thriving projects. And, yeah, I'd never heard about them before. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so I don't know what to say really. Like, it's incredible what skateboarding can do. And I just think it's it's so incredible that it's being mostly led by people who have like such a thirst for like for, for changing things in a way, for pushing things in different directions. And I think like it just seems like more and more so these days, like projects are being started and led by so many different people and this can only just be a really positive thing because it's like it's all about representation isn't it it's all about who you see and if you see like a diverse set of people running things then you from the outset you see that you can get involved in it and this yeah. is the main change I've seen recently is I also think like these people were there before I think like many different people were like involved in skateboarding and leading different initiatives but it's only more recently that like that the awareness of that has risen and people are getting like the media coverage or whatever that they deserve and also uh -huh. like the funding in terms of like more like specific and diverse like funding streams being available so you're just seeing like all of these different projects emerge and it's kind of like oh wow but then also it's like okay you were obviously here before and we just didn't know about it yeah, yeah yeah exactly but yeah like i don't know like quite recently i was at the role models uh like event that we held the set of workshops in berlin that had all these different projects come out and present their ideas and share the knowledge and it was just like the most inspiring thing and there was also like you know a wcmx rider there ilaria who's based in italy and I think she's like the only WCMX rider there. So that's like, it's not adaptive skateboarding. It's people who skate in wheelchairs. And there's also oh, yeah. like quite a big movement now of like making skateboarding and skate parks and spots more accessible for people with disabilities. And I, I really hope that that would be more of a focus moving forwards. And it's definitely something that I want to push for more with good push and like... Yeah, I'm not really answering your question here, to be honest, but I see it, I just see it moving in a positive way, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't really an actual question. It was basically like, what's your perspective on it? And yeah, you gave me a good answer. So yeah, I think that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually finish uh, these interviews by uh, some friends' questions, but uh, I just have two last questions for you before we do that. So basically, the first one is what's next for you? Like what's on your plate for the next few months or years? What are the projects that you're gonna work on? So, so you just talked about the good push, and uh, do you have any like traveling going on? And, and actually, yeah, I was, I was also wondering because the good push is, uh, I guess, based in Berlin since Skatistan is over there, but uh, you're still in Athens. So, did you consider mm. consider maybe moving over there? What made you stay in Athens, basically? Yeah, I had I had kind of thought about it. I think yeah, for the first time recently, I'm not as 
like I've been thinking about leaving Athens and, and what other places I whichever places I might go to or settle in. It's quite based as well, like free movement are still trying to find a space in Athens where they would run like more developmental programs and if that somehow managed to happen in the near future then I would be super interested in, in getting involved getting involved in that on the ground. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, this aspect of, like, doing, like, the women's program and stuff and a more educational side of things was, like, one of the things I most enjoyed. So, who knows? That's, like, the most idealistic uh, vision for the future. But, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Like, I've also thought about moving back to England and maybe starting, like, a kind of sister project of free movement there. Okay. I haven't actually spoken to Will about that yet, so um, oh, okay. that will be the first he hears about <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. It's uh, basically something that's come into my head like quite recently because, yeah, the work with Good Push is amazing, but it's also mostly based online. Like I get to go to yeah. events and things like that. And yep. the idea would to keep that going, but yeah, like I also really want to just get involved again, like on the ground, teaching, being with young people, you know, just being more involved in the program side of things would be great. Okay, so, yeah. cool. Okay, so the last question I usually ask is, uh, it's kind of hard, hard to answer on the spot, but it's uh, basically, what's the most valuable lesson that you feel that you've learned from skateboarding? I suppose, I mean, I'm sh who knows, like, I'm sure many people have said this. It's, I suppose it's just to like be open-minded and keep learning. Yeah, I mean, like my experience with skateboarding is like basically just within the social skateboarding world, I guess. So maybe I have like a bit of a tunnel vision. But yeah, I just think like I've just experienced so many new things from it. And yeah, to just like not be afraid to try new things, I guess. And also not to be afraid of those things failing and yeah I don't know as a person I do not take failure very well at all and I'm very <laughs> competitive and <laughs> skateboarding you know there's not really space for that in skateboarding in terms of like you are just going to fail all the time yeah most of the time <laughs> exactly and yeah just just keeping an open mind I guess and I don't know yeah I've just been I've been taught so much mostly from from like the young people that we've worked with more than skateboarding has taught me to be honest but you know it's it's happened within that environment because skateboarding is great for creating that environment so uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say that really all right so let's finish with the friends questions i have a couple of questions from uh, uh zelia corbia is that how you say her name <laughs> zelia yeah Zelia, okay. Yeah, so she said, um, through all the different projects you've been involved with, from SkatePal to Free Movement Skateboarding to Skatistan, has your relationship to skateboarding and your enthusiasm for it evolved in any way? Mm, definitely. God, how to answer this question? I mean, yeah, for sure, like, my enthusiasm... I mean, it goes up and down, to be honest, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely at its highest when we were just like in the kind of setting of we used to do these trips where we would like the kids that we worked with in the refugee camps like we would try and like organize trips to teach them outside of the camps like as often as we could yep and one of those locations was um this place called the track which is like a skate bowl in the center of athens and they have like a little cafe there and stuff and these sessions were just amazing like mostly because you would get to teach 
these young people like in a different environment that wasn't inside the refugee camp and you would just see how much of an effect that calmer space like had on their whole being like on their ability to learn and interact not just with the session but with each other and like oh it was just like such an amazing experience and we would just learn so much from each other and skate together in this much more natural way of just being like ah like this is trick and like I'm gonna learn it too and they were like teaching us like all these really funny little tricks that they had just thought in their head like (laughs) you know and uh very spontaneous exactly so that was probably like my highest level of of enthusiasm like (laughs) within skateboarding was like the period where we were kind of doing that and yeah like it stays pretty high most of the time but yeah, also, like, now that Zelia's left Athens, I'm, I'm suffering a bit. She was my favourite person to skate with. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. She needs to come back uh, for a session or something. <laughs> yeah. She also asked, the headquarters of free movement skateboarding have always operated within yours and Will's home. You've lived in flats with ongoing skate ramp construction, rooms and hallways filled with skateboards, and all the equipment necessary to running a mobile skate park. What are your most favorite and, if you have any, most annoying memories of sharing your living space with a social skateboarding project? (laughs) Okay, long question. You can tell that she's been uh, on the inside of all of this. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's something that I haven't mentioned throughout. Is like, that was one of the most challenging things, really. There was a point where, like, everyone who worked for Free Movement was also living in this same, like, big, crazy house... And the whole project was based there. All the skateboards were there. The van was parked somewhere near outside. (laughs) You know, we would build things on the roof. We would just get home from sessions together and cook like two kilos of pasta and eat it together and then all just like fall asleep because we were so exhausted. Yeah, it was a very intense period and one that if I did it again, I would do very differently. There was (laughs) so much beauty in it, so many... You know, the relationships that you form with these people are just, you know, they're incredible, but it is testing at times. And I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, I can't really remember what the question was now because it was so long, but... It was basically like <laughs> your most favorite and most annoying memories of, uh, uh, okay. of, of sharing the space with, uh, mm. with the free movement skateboarding. Okay, well, I don't really know if I'm going to say like most favorite or most annoying, but like one thing that was quite funny was like that we started like this this jar of like if you speak about work after 10 p.m., then you have to put a year in this jar. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that gives you like a bit of an indication of what it was like because there was just so much to speak about after every session, you know, of what went wrong, what went right, and you know, so these conversations could just be ongoing. So, yeah, we had this this jar that we would have to put money into about <laughs> anything anything related to work after this certain time. Yeah, and then I don't know, one of one of the coolest things is actually like in the first year where it was just it was just me and Will like living together and running things where like our flat was in exactly in this spot that was like kind of at the bottom of a hill and where we parked the van was like way up here, like right on the top of the hill but past all, like through all these like really crusty little streets and like at the end of each session we would park there and it was like such a good like decompressive way to end the day where we would then just like fly down this hill on the skateboard and there was like all these it felt oh, like yeah. on like a on a video game or something because then there'd be like this bit where you had to do this like skid and sharp turn and then this bit where you had to like 
get on the pavement and like dodge all these holes and then there was a bit where you had to like go around this corner really close to where like the riot police stand and like me and Will would both try and get like as close to them as possible <laughs> and like yeah it had this like crazy like little level that we'd do like every day after parking the van and then we'd get home like wipe our heads and just be like okay see you later off to, off yeah. to our bedrooms <laughs> Um, so <laughs> cool. That was that's quite a good memory. All right. Um, next question. This one is from uh, Sandra Holtzkins. Okay. From uh, Pushing Borders, who was one of the co-organizers, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he said, "Dear Ruby, how wonderful that you're going to be a part of Quentin's podcast. So excited that you continue sharing your story." So how do you make sure that the work you do is emotionally sustainable? That is to say, how do you support youth in Athens while also making room to care for yourself? Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for that question because it's like it's a super important one and this is also something I'm referring to when I say how much of like a learning process like this whole experience has been and what I touched on earlier when I was kind of mentioning the the tendency of people who work, you know, in the context of like displaced communities or volunteering or anything like that of just like giving it your all and, and not really taking your own like well being into consideration. So yeah, for a for a long time I wasn't to be honest, like um drinking a lot of beers in general mm -hmm. after after work, just to try and like yeah, settle down a bit I guess and forget. Yeah. Decompress. Yeah, or just generally, like, keeping myself, like, fully active the entire time. Like, I I don't know, like, it was also, like, incredibly social here, and there was, like, yeah, quite a tendency of everyone to, like, work hard and play hard, I guess. Like, when we weren't working, we were all socialising a lot, and I didn't really have any time on my own for, like, those first two years at least. Very intense. Kind of, yeah, kind of fortuitously, I ended up uh, bursting my ACL. Oh, okay. Which to me came as kind of like a direct indicator of like, you are not looking after yourself at this point. Like, yeah. I was exhausted. Time to take a break. Fully. Like, I was not looking after my body at all. And as much as that injury was hard to navigate, I had to go back to England for like quite a long period of time. I had a lot of space from Athens. I was still involved in free movement, but I was like kind of setting it up as a charity and doing everything that I could do online. And basically had like almost a year to try and process everything that had already happened and figure out how I was going to carry on and make it more sustainable really in the future. Yeah. But yeah, so so after that it it did become a big focus and me and Will and and Will especially has continued to work really hard on ensuring not just his own but all of the staff of free movements well-being. We managed to get funding for everyone to have counseling sessions, I think twice or even every week uh, or twice per month or even every week like we had funding for that so people are able to access that if they want and that is a really big thing that like to be able to just like speak to a professional, you know, every yeah, week about sure. what's going on and, and get support is a really big thing and valuable, yeah. Yeah, and there's and there has been like a bigger movement of this like within the skateboarding world in general, you know, outside of social skateboarding as well. There's been a massive movement like well we've also like the Ben Ramers Foundation and stuff doing incredible work towards suicide awareness and prevention. Yep. And you know, pushing borders, the second one was very much focused on mental health and well being. So these yeah. these conversations are being had when they, they weren't necessarily being even spoken about before. So yeah. you know, it's 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 on people's minds and, and there are practical things being put in place and 
Yeah, so to be honest, yeah, I, I wasn't very good at it at the time when I was in it deep, but at least that means that it's, um, you know, it's, it's been a priority moving forwards in, in everything I do, and I'm so happy to see that Free Movement have continued this, and, and hopefully many other projects have it more as a focus as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so I have a few last questions. All right, let's see. Here I may, it's Osh, long-term friend, first-time caller. I wanted to know. What's kept you in Greece and Athens over the past years, even through not working as closely with Free Movement or working with the Good Push, who are based in Berlin? What's keeping you there? And how's Mickey? <laughs> I kind of asked you about that earlier, about Berlin and, and Athens, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so, well, Mickey's my dog and he's doing great. He's sleeping behind me. Hopefully you haven't heard him snoring too much on this audio. <laughs> <laughs> And Osh is quite unreasonably in love with him, considering they've only met a couple of times. <laughs> But, yeah, it's a good question. And I think, I think if Osh answered it, he would say probably the Fredo Espressos, like the coffee, has a big part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, no, like, I think a big thing is just, like, now that I'm living my life in a more mindful way here, like, touching on the subject we just kind of spoke about, like, mental health-wise and seeing it more as like a permanent place rather than just somewhere I was you know doing a project for like a short amount of time like I've right. really settled here and yeah just like there's a lot of like very inspiring projects going on and just have this like level of like it's a big city but it's also quite close-knit and there's a lot of like interesting self-organized stuff going on in the ground on the ground and it just feels like and, and also like this is kind of like a criticism as well I suppose where like It's quite a few steps behind, like many other places, in terms of, like, skateboarding stuff, social stuff, like, you know, in terms of, like, the scene here, it's, like, incredibly undiverse. Like, we're only just starting to, like, try and be more inclusive and diverse here. Luckily, like, the two local skate shops are really behind that and uh, have been sponsoring girls and non-male people for, like, quite a few years now, which has given it a big boost. Obviously, it's, like, the home of skatism as well, which is an incredible magazine, which I know you've spoken about before. Mm-hmm. And like amongst that, so it's it's kind of more like and what I've been doing with the skate meets as well is like you kind of have to push your own way. So it's it's like Athens is just such a love and hate place. And I'm sure Osh would say the same thing and agree with it. Like it does test you and it does like push you down and it's so loud and chaotic and horrible. But it's also like so nice and, and it does motivate you to try and like push things in a bit of a different direction. I think if I was in London or somewhere, I would try and get involved with these things, but I wouldn't necessarily be the one to, to start a project there because it's like there's a lot of stuff going on already. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's some really incredible like locals here who also like you know very behind that and it just feels a bit more like yeah just it feels like meaningful to get involved with stuff when it's kind of at the beginning stages so yeah absolutely i suppose that's a reason yeah all right let's see all right i have two questions and you can choose one or the other so my first question if you'd never started skateboarding what do you think you would be doing now my second question for ruby is What is something about skateboarding that is better now than when you first started skating? Did you recognize the voice? Yes, it's Rhiannon. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Okay, nice. So So the first question was like if you if you'd never started skating, what do you think you'd be doing basically? Mm, I mean, that is tough, but I'd hope it would be something in youth work 
anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say one of the best things about Free Movement, I just like, kids are just incredible and they're such like, even in the toughest circumstances, they're just like incredibly positive, like little beings to be around and so creative and so expressive and just like so beautiful. Like, honestly, like I just, yeah, kids are just amazing. And I think I would just always want to be involved in something to do with youth work. Mm -hmm. And that's like definitely the direction that I will continue in now. So yeah, if skateboarding hadn't come around, it would probably, yeah, be still like youth work related, but yeah, maybe minus the skateboarding bit. Okay. And the second one was, uh, what's something about skating that's better now than when you first started basically? Yeah. I mean, I'd say there's a million and one things that are better (laughs) in skateboarding now than when I first started out, but I suppose from a personal perspective, the emergence of like queer communities within skateboarding, which I've really noticed over the last like five years or so, I would say is the best thing because just like so much more, like it's just going in so many different like creative, beautiful, expressive ways and just becoming like so much more inclusive and accessible for different people. And I see it as like a mutual thing where like this is improving skateboarding and and skateboarding is also improving things for these communities because it just gives you such an outlet and such a beautiful, welcoming, supportive, creative space, like uh, if it's done nicely. And yeah, like um, I suppose a lot of that is kind of through, I suppose, like people like Unity Skateboarding and and Skatism for sure has like had such an impact in this area and yeah I just see this as the best thing really and um, also like I just see I hear and I see about projects all the time now emerging with queer communities all around the world and most of these projects are also very active in the communities they live in you know they're going to protest they're going to demonstrations they're really pushing for things in in such a beautiful direction so yeah for me this is one of the best things and it's something that I'm really trying to work towards with with my skate meets in Athens. Yeah. All right, let's finish with the last question. Hey, Ruby. Uh, Can you guess who the mystery voice is? Um, My question is, what do you think are the biggest changes you've seen in the city of Athens during the five years you've been here? Blimey. Um, So that was Will from Free Movement, the other co-founder. Yeah. I'd say, like, I mean... It's something that we spoke about already, but, like, the biggest change, like, yeah, for our experience and, like, for the context that we work in was, like, the change of government, really. And I suppose that was in 2018. So now it's, like, new democracy and it's just changed. It's changed the city completely. Yeah, so this is quite a negative one, maybe, to end on. But, like, Mm. yeah, like, it's just tons of like really tough new kind of like rules and regulations and this kind of evicting of all the squats which I just think like I know that me and Will like many people are just still sad about all the time really Mm -hmm. yeah so that that was like the biggest shift in terms of like social cultural stuff but yeah uh, yeah I don't know I suppose I suppose like a good thing is like what I mentioned before as well about like Like, if we're going to think about, like, just the skateboarding side of things in the city, like, the amount of more, like, non-traditional skaters that are now, like, involved at the skate parks and at the scenes and being also, like, quite well supported as well, like, by the skate shops and stuff, like... 
that's a really big change that I've seen. Like, I remember it was about three months after I arrived here that I met this person called Asamina, and I remember I just fully, like, accosted her and was just like, wow, I haven't seen any other girl skating, and she was just starting out at that point, and now she's, like, sponsored by the Skate Shop Ministry of Concrete, and, you know, like, uh, you know, it's still, like, at the beginning stages, but, like, within those five years, like... You know, now they're having, like, Free Movement recently did, like, this game of skate, like, little contest thing. And there was, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the really big turnout. And, yeah, you just see, like, also the level improving a lot all the time. And, yeah, like, that is really amazing to see. And, and in the skate meets that I've been doing, basically everyone who came was skating for the first time. And they had... Maybe it had been on their mind... But, you know, you're not going to go and buy a skateboard if you've, like, just thought about it and you don't, yeah. you, know, you haven't really, none of your friends are doing it or anything. So just giving that space and the boards there to use, like, we've had probably in total, like, 40 people, like, come and try skateboarding for the first time. And a lot of them are, like, still coming every week. And, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, there's just, like, different communities coming, coming out of the woodwork all the time because they see it as a space that's more inviting now, which is really nice. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank taking you. some time. Really appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, cheers for having me. That's it for my conversation with Ruby. Follow her on Instagram at Ruby Mateja. Follow Free Movement Skateboarding at Free Movement underscore SB and go to their website, freemovementskateboarding.com, to support their amazing service to the youth in Athens. Also, keep your eyes open for the Free Movement Skateboarding documentary The Invisible Summer in collaboration with The Skate Room coming out in August. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.